answer my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Welcome back to Locked On Bears. I'm your host, Lauren Cox from Pro Football Focus and USA Today's BearsWire.com. And I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears talk on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today I want to address sort of the the fiction, the myths versus the facts and the reality about the Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, particularly in terms of him being a quote-unquote, you know, conservative, not aggressive play caller, though, you know, the way he uses the blitz the way he uses coverages and disguising those coverages. We'll touch on all of that and sort of the bigger picture of this defense, things that are holding them back, things they do well, and how that all reflects on Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. But let's start with sort of the pervasive idea here about Vic Fangio. You see this a lot on Twitter. He's conservative He's willing to allow the offense to do too much. He just sits back and lets them attack him. And, you know, sometimes it works and they hold up in the red zone, but they allow they give up too many field goals and X, Y, Z. He's not aggressive enough. He's, he's not taking full advantage of, of getting after the offense. I've seen multiple Bears fans on Twitter say, Vic Fangio needs to blitz more. He needs to get more guys after the quarterback to keep these guys uncomfortable and, and, you know, not able to throw from a clean pocket. And that's, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. But let's, let's just first look at exactly what he does do and doesn't do. As you know, I work for Pro Football Focus, and we as a company track blitzes and, I mean, hundreds of data points that you can't even begin to dive into. But I want to point out sort of where Vic Fangio ranks in terms of blitzes, the Bears on the season, they blitz about 23.8% of the time, and that is well below the league average of 30.1%. So yes, on the surface, he isn't aggressive in uh, on a general scale, but it takes a little bit uh, of, if you look a little bit closer, you can see that that doesn't necessarily tell you the whole story of the season. You look game by game. I, th- I think the real the real thing here is not that Vic Fangio is not aggressive, but he is cautiously aggressive. And what he does is he brings it out more so in certain situations. There are going to be games where he does bring the blitz quite a bit, and there are going to be games where he just doesn't at all. And that makes it difficult for a defense to necessarily prepare for him. So we look at this year. Against the Atlanta Falcons, 34% blitz. Tampa Bay, 30% blitz. Go to Pittsburgh, 10%. Drops a third or two-thirds, you know, it's one-third as much blitzing against Pittsburgh. They weren't going to get after Ben Roethlisberger. Vic Fangio said, you know what, this quarterback, he wasn't playing that well this year. Let's let him 
try and beat our defense. He says, let's let's challenge Ben Roethlisberger to throw his way to a win. And you saw the Bears' defense play well and really slow down the Pittsburgh Steelers' offense. The cornerbacks made big plays on the ball because Ben Roethlisberger wasn't throwing very effectively. So Fangio, he didn't, he didn't, he clearly didn't feel the need to get after Ben Roethlisberger, but sending a bunch of pressure his way and, and give him potentially better matchups for his receivers. Instead, he dropped back in coverage, keep more guys in the back end to contain Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant, which is understandable, and let Big Ben try and beat you. He couldn't. Took him into overtime, yes, but the Bears were ahead in that game. There were some turnovers in that game. I mean, there's always a little bit of, of something to keep the Steelers coming back into it and to, to hold the Bears' defense down. But he didn't blitz a lot of it against Big Ben because he didn't want to and he didn't need to. You move on to Green Bay the following week, though, back up to 35%. So this season you're 34, 30, 10, 35, well above the league average of 30%. So he wanted to get after Aaron Rodgers. He said, you know what? This offensive line in Green Bay is not good. Let's try and bring extra rushers, challenge them to hold up and protect Aaron Rodgers and hope that his defense can contain him and maybe get some pressure. Obviously, Mike Glennon implodes in that game. The The Bears defense didn't stand a ton of chance when the turnovers were, uh, you know, constant. But still, you can see he wasn't conservative in that game. But then you go to Minnesota the week after. Sam Bradford, and then Case Keenum, he says again, let these quarterbacks beat me with their arm. 7.7% blitzing in Minnesota. So a season, 34, 30, drops down to 10 against Pittsburgh, back up to 35 against Green Bay, drops down again to 7 against Minnesota. Extremely low. They only blitzed like three or four snaps in the whole game because he wanted you know, Sam Bradford to try and beat him. They got great pressure on Sam Bradford without blitzing him a single time. And then same thing with Case Keenum. Let the quarterback beat you. Obviously, the, the Bears had some turnovers in that game. The Bears even got a safety in that game. The defense scored points, and that still wasn't enough for the offense to quite overcome. But the defense not blitzing the, the Vikings quarterbacks because they didn't feel the need to. And then against Baltimore, back up to about 29%. So you kind of see this up-and-down fluctuation that leaves the Bears a little bit more towards the, the lower end of the spectrum just because, you know, Pittsburgh and Minnesota, the Bears didn't blitz a lot in that game, and those two teams were able to throw the ball quite a bit in the second half of those games, whereas in Green Bay, they blitzed a lot, but Aaron Rodgers didn't have to throw the ball that much because the running game was going, and they had so many points on the board. Same thing in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay came out such an early lead that when the Bears do blitz more than average, it's just not as many pass attempts. So then over the course of your season, your average ends up lower and lower, Again, down just about 24%, six points below the league average. So he's not blitzing as much. I mean, he's blitzing, generally speaking, on the lower end. But the point is that it's part of the flow of games. And it, his, his non-blitzing was effective against Pittsburgh. And it was somewhat effective against Minnesota. And his blitzing was a little bit effective against Atlanta. Not, and in a lot of these games, he's been screwed over. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that a little later on in the podcast. But... This is sort of the same story to me as 2016. You know, this isn't just a, a one-season thing. And actually, compared to last year, Vic Fangio is actually blitzing more. He's at 23.8% this year, was down to 19.1% last year. Again, well below the league average, but it's another one of these game-by-game -game cases. 
you look in 2016, they played Carson Wentz and the Eagles in what week two or three was that blitzed him 34% of the time wanted to get after the rookie quarterback. But then week four against Detroit, 6.8%. Well, well, super low, below the, low, the below the average. And they beat Matt Stafford. He said, let, let Matt Stafford try and throw on me and try and beat this defense. And they didn't. And the Bears won that game for their first win of the season without blitzing the quarterback. And then later on in the year, San Francisco and Colin Kaepernick and Blaine Gabbard also in that game, 48% blitzing. They said, you know what? Let's get after this offensive line. Let's get after these bad quarterbacks. Let's not give them any space because we know that their receivers aren't going to challenge our cornerbacks and we feel good about our secondary holding up. And plus Vic Fangio, he knew the 49ers. He knew how to attack them and he blitzed them again. Almost 50% of the snaps, more than double his season average. So there's just, there's a lot of fluctuation here. Even Minnesota then, week eight that year, the one they won with Jay Cutler, they blitzed Sam Bradford 4.7% of the snaps, even lower than this year's Minnesota game so far, the lowest of, of any game in the last two years in Vic Fangio, and they win. The, the off, when the offense puts up points and the defense is able to sort of hold their own and play a poor offensive line, you don't have to blitz. And there were a lot of those games where Fangio didn't go to the blitz, and you get high pass attempts in a lot of those games because the team is playing well, and so the other team has to pass more to keep up. Whereas in the game when he in the games when he might blitz more, the Bears are behind on the scoreboard, and the other team's offense is going to run the ball more. So it's fewer total blitzing plays, and over the course of a season, his blitz numbers stay low. So the point here is not that Vic Fangio, or I guess the, the point is to say that the, the the low blitz percentage isn't because. He just blitzes low in every single game, but it's because the, the, there's this fluctuation of high and low, and the lows are very low. When he decides not to blitz someone, he doesn't, and it, it, what it does is it puts his players in different positions, but also it, it allows the opponents to not be able to fully prepare, that you don't know if this is going to be a game where Vic Fangio blitzes you a lot or when he completely drops off, and you'll kind of see, you know, once you get in the game, you, you get in the game and you can start to see what he's going to do, but in terms of preparation... You can't prepare for a super heavy, aggressive defensive coordinator like in Arizona where they're going to blitz you a lot pretty consistently and you have to be ready for it. And it's not a team like the the olden days Carolina Panthers, which has changed this year. They were a team that hardly ever blitzed. They'd sit back in zone and even the Lovey Smith Tampa 2 Bears, you can think about it like that. They, they just rush four every time and you don't have to prepare for a blitz. What Fangio does is he fluctuates gives teams different things to try and prepare for, and they can't just sit there and realize what his blitz percentage is going to be like, how often he's going to bring the heat. The, that unpredictability there is effective. And uh, yes, over the course of the season, the blitz numbers tend to be lower, but it's a game-to-game -game and a situation-to-situation -situation case, and that doesn't mean he's A, not aggressive when he needs to be, and B, ineffective without blitzing. I mean, there are certainly games when they don't blitz and they don't have success, but you've seen this team sort of use it strategically, and when their offense does the job, the defense can hold their own with or without the quote-unquote aggressive defensive coordinator. The one area that you might be able to make the argument here that he is, yes, being a little bit more conservative is you're seeing more of the three-man rushes this year where he drops eight guys back into coverage. It's just about a 5% increase from last year where you know everyone drops back and they just sort of give up that space in the middle and try and stop the guy in 
you know, third and long, or it's a lot of times first downs and and second and third and longs. But but certainly he also is blitzing more. So I don't know if that if that equals out to similar amount. You know, if he if he's sending three a little bit more, but also blitzing more, that kind of averages out to a similar level of aggression from the defensive coordinator. But I don't think this lack of consistent game to game blitzing is a bad thing. I think people. You know, you get a little bit caught up in Madden sometimes, and blitzing in Madden is definitely pretty darn effective. You can get, you know, sometimes you can glitch the game a little bit and get unblocked rushers a little bit more easily, or just you know, kind of take control, make the make your own physical move and get after the quarterback. And you play against other teams that blitz the heck out of you. You kind of want to see that when you watch real football. But there's a lot more that goes into what Vic Fangio is doing. And it's been largely effective, as as we'll see a little bit later on in this episode. But the one criticism I do want to point out for Vic Fangio, this is not a Lauren Loves Vic Fangio podcast, necessarily. I, I, do, I do hold Vic Fangio in a high opinion, and we'll talk about how high later on. But the one thing to keep this fair and balanced here, the criticism I have for Vic Fangio in terms of blitzing, there'll, there'll be more criticisms later on too, don't worry, but in terms of blitzing, when you see him send extra rushers, it's almost never from his traditional nickel package. When the Bears have their two defensive linemen and their four outside linebackers and five defensive backs, that is almost always a four-man rush. It's rare that you'll see a line, an extra linebacker go or a defensive back go after the quarterback with that traditional nickel package. Where you'll see the blitzes a lot more often is when he brings out the other formations. You know, sometimes that's just your base 3-4, but when he goes to the 3-3-5 nickel, you'll see him rush all five guys to the line of scrimmage, the three linemen and the two outside linebackers. That happens a lot. And then when he goes to the dime, their 1-4-6 package in particular, he even just straight up calls it, uh, or the players will call it, it's a blitz package for previously Sherrick McManus, that became DeAndre Houston Carson this past week. They blitz Bryce Callahan a couple times a game, but you never really see them blitz safeties. You know, it's usually a, a slot defensive back or an inside linebacker, and that's another way where maybe you're a little bit too predictable in your blitzes. You know, not doing it in the nickel package, the, the traditional nickel package, and not doing it with uh, enough variation of players. I mean, you look at the season on a whole. Eddie Jackson has blitzed once, and you have not seen Fuller, Amos, Amukamara, Cooper, or Demps blitz the quarterback. The only defensive backs to go after the quarterback, Bryce Callahan, DeAndre Houston Carson, and I mentioned the one from Eddie Jackson. So maybe that's another way you could be less predictable. Bring bring Adrian Amos for the first time all season. Bring other guys from other positions, an outside cornerback. If he's on the field side or the boundary side, maybe you can overload one side you know, just just some different things to maybe mix it up because typically it's a combination of the guys in the front six or seven, and then Bryce Callahan gets his one or two a game to to throw something new. And they do a great job. You know, Bryce Callahan has been an effective blitzer throughout his career, but not seeing as much from the other defensive backs. Maybe get a little bit less dis, uh, predictable in that area. Okay, Kevin, for the grand prize of one million dollars. What color is the White House? Um, I know this, I know this, I know this. Um, five seconds. Oh, 
Switching to Geico could save you a bunch of money on car insurance? Okay. Judges? That's true, Kevin. They'll allow it. Congratulations. You're a winner. Woo! Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. I think there might also be somewhat of a perception about how Vic Fangio calls his coverages on the back end. You know, we just talked about blitzing. I think that, you know, that's a front seven thing. Let's move to the secondary here with coverages. And there is, I mean, it's hard to decide. It's hard to describe whether or not you want to call it predictable or not, because a lot of teams, I mean, this is the NFL. No one is doing things in coverage that are new anymore. And really, I don't think there's a blitz package that hasn't been used before or any kind of stunt combination. There aren't there aren't new things. It's just different ways and different combinations of doing the same thing. So, you know, there's different ways you can run cover three. You know, you can have a cloud adjustment. You can do a bunch of different things. The Bears do a lot of pattern match in their zone three, in their cover three, where guys are sort of in man or zone depending on the routes. There's different things you can do, but it's largely still... You know, everyone can either run cover one, two, three, four, six, cover zero sometimes, and of course there's two deep man coverage. But there, you know, there's only there's only so much you can do, and a lot of teams now are primarily cover three and cover one teams. That's what the league has generally shifted towards. When you think back, the Bears with Lovey Smith, the Carolina Panthers right now, the Buccaneers are still two because of their Lovey influence. The sort of the, the Tampa two teams. That's cover two. Two deep safeties with five zone defenders underneath. Different responsibilities there for the zone guys. And they mix some cover four in that as well because cover four also has two deep safeties. But now you're seeing a a league that is largely a single deep safety league. And that means cover three, cover one, and then cover six. You kind of show a single deep safety sometimes, but cover six is a combination of two and four. So you have three deep defenders, but they don't each take a third. In cover six... You have one guy take a cover two half of the field, and two guys take cover four each a fourth of the field. So you have two fourths, two quarters, and a half taking up the back end of your defense. It's three guys covering two halves. So, you know, it's it's sort of the hybrid there. But you look at the Bears specifically. Like I said, a lot of teams now, most teams are a single deep safety team, and that is the Bears to a T. You see them run cover three and cover one on almost 60% of their passing plays a little bit more cover three than cover one. They're right near 30% each, but you're going to see a little bit more of the, of the true zone cover three as compared to the man cover one for, for my listeners that don't know cover three, three deep zone with four defenders in zones underneath cover one. You have a single deep safety and man coverage underneath and sometimes another player in zone over the middle of the field beneath the the deep safety. Sometimes you'll blitz out of it and just have man with one free deep safety. But for this purpose, I, I'm covering that all under the shell of cover one. And again, that's almost equal to cover three, but a little bit less. And, and those are both single deep safety looks. So 60% of the time, you're going to have those single deep safety coverages, which is what you kind of see throughout the NFL. You could call it predictable, but it's not necessarily I mean there's there's weak there's more weaknesses or at least different weaknesses in two deep zones in two and cover two and cover four and teams have found more success with three and one based on the personnel that they have and just putting players in specific situations to be successful 
So a- after cover three and cover one, the Bears run a decent amount of cover six, and then a little bit less cover two, and then one or one ish play, one or two plays a game, you'll get some cover four and some two man. But you almost never see Vic Fangio go with the cover zero, where you just have five guys in man coverage and six guys blitzing the quarterback. Kind of a free for all one on one there. Don't see a lot of that, but it's it's a lot of cover three and cover one, and at least because those are so evenly split. Again, like twenty nine to twenty seven percent. It's it's less predictable in the sense that the defense doesn't know necessarily whether it's man or zone. They know they see a single deep safety, and they can and depending on and, you know when they snap the ball, if the single deep safety stays a single deep safety, they know right away it's cover three or cover one. But at least they don't necessarily know then if the player's going to be in man coverage, then they have to read, then they actually still have to read the defense. It's not like they can pre-snap determine 100% what the coverage is, but you can do different things to try and figure it out. I mean, it's the chess game of NFL quarterback play versus defensive coordinators. But again, Fangio, a lot of three and one, less so six, less so two, and then just a tiny bit of cover four and two man. But where we can point to maybe some criticism or some some things you wouldn't or you want to see changed about Vic Fangio's defense here is the way that he does use those safeties pre-snap. So when you talk about you know disguising a coverage to try and make it difficult on a quarterback, what that really means is showing him one thing before the snap and rolling to something else post-snap. So sometimes that's you know making a cloud adjustment and having uh, having your safeties you know you go a single deep safety. And then you have the other safety drop back, and it's still cover three, but one of the safeties kind of takes the deep roll of a corner, and the cornerback stays underneath. There's some different things you can do there. But more importantly, it's, you know, you come up with two deep safeties, and then at the snap, one safety comes down, one goes in the middle, and then it becomes that cover one or that cover three, or vice versa. That's what they talk about, rolling the safeties one way or, or the other. You can come out with one deep safety, snap the ball, and have the other safety drop back to take a deep half of the field and show cover two or cover four two man after the snap even though you showed your usual single deep safety pre-snap I mean that that's rolling the safeties and disguising the coverage and the way Vic Fangio specifically does this if if he shows you a single deep safety before the snap if it's just Eddie Jackson or Adrian Amos back there six out of seven times that's a very specific number for a reason that's the exact percentage six out of seven times it's going to stay that one deep defense. It's, it's you, you pretty rarely see him show a safety one deep before the snap and have another safety then rotate back for a two man a two deep coverage. And that's largely just because they don't run a lot of two deep coverages. Like I said, cover two and cover four and two man make up about twenty percent of their total plays, as opposed to you know the sixty they get out of cover one and three and another six, 16 out of cover six. So your, your two deep safety plays in coverage aren't all that prevalent in his playbook. So it's not a huge surprise that he isn't rotating the, the second safety back there as much. But it's still something that maybe maybe you want to show more two deep safeties and, and, and then move to one. You know, largely you watch a Bears game, and if you can get an angle on the broadcast where you can see the safety if it's one deep safety, watch. Most of the time, six out of seven times, it stays one deep safety. On the other hand, when he shows two safeties before the snap, both Adrian Amos and Eddie Jackson are back there deep, then because they run so many single deep coverages, it's about a 60-40 split 
as to whether or not it's dis- it's disguised or not, where it's a little bit less often disguised, but you'll see them roll from two to one fairly regularly. It's enough of a split that you, you see two deep safeties, you really aren't sure if they're going to f- you know play a two deep zone or a one deep zone, but that's just juxtaposed with where if they show one safety before the snap, they're largely going to keep one safety before the snap. So there's not a lot you can do when you play so much cover three and cover one. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just something to kind of notice that, you know, if you're a quarterback and you see that single deep safety against the Bears defense, you generally know he's going to stay there and the other safety is going to stay where he is. And it's just something that maybe a quarterback could take advantage of if he's properly prepared. And at least he, Fangio is able to disguise some things when he does put two deep safeties back there. He doesn't just stick. I mean, 60% of cover three and cover one is not insignificant, but that's not 80%. You know, that's not 90%. He throws, he mixes in those other coverages, and it's just enough to, you know, keep a keep a quarterback from getting too comfortable in figuring out what the Bears defense is going to do. But I think largely on this season, this Bears defense hasn't gotten enough credit for what it has been able to do. Not that they've been totally, totally lights out, but this is a team that I think is, this is a defense that I think is a little bit underrated in terms of what they've been able to do. I mean, yes, they've allowed 148 points this year, or rather, other teams have scored 148 on the Bears, but the, the wording there is particular because... The Bears, when you have Mike Glennon starting the first four games of the season, there were some. There's a pick six in there, and you have the two special teams touchdowns this last week. If you take away points scored by other teams purely off of turnovers, where the Bears' defense was not on the field to try and stop them, the Bears would be allowing 21 points per game this season. Again, take away the interception return touchdowns and the and the special teams touchdowns. 21 points per game allowed by this defense. That would rank 12th right now in the NFL in terms of points allowed, tied with the Oakland Raiders. That's pretty good. You know, that's not top 10 defense. That's not top 5 defense. But 12th, considering purely just the times the defense was on the field and allowed points to take away what they weren't even able to control, Top 12 is not bad at all, especially considering this is a 2-4 and four football team with injuries everywhere. But you also look at all of the times the Bears' offense has put them in bad situations. You know, turnovers, you know, there weren't big turnovers in Week 1 against the Falcons, but Week 2, 3, 4, and even a little bit of, fan, of Mitchell Trubisky's first start, a lot of turnovers, and actually teams have scored 40 points off of turnovers in those four games against the Bears. And not that, uh, you know, what I don't want this to sound like is I'm going to excuse the Bears' defense of allowing those points. But in those situations, it's very difficult to stop the other team from getting points when they start with the ball in field goal range. And so I don't want to just say, well, you know, the Bears' defense shouldn't be criticized for allowing touchdowns in some of those situations or maybe allowing field goals even when the the other team starts with the ball outside of field goal range. But you look at just points scored by opposing offenses where they didn't they weren't given field position by a turnover. Take away 
any points scored off turnovers, and the Bears are, allow, are allowing 14, what, just under 14, like 13.8 points per game purely on drives where the, the, you know, the defense had to you know, follow the punt or whatever, and the defense truly was able to defend. And again, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't count the, the points off turnovers, but it's just worth noting that a lot of the points this team have allowed have come on turnovers, a good touchdown worth a game coming after turnovers. And that's even with you know a game week one without points off turnovers, and last week only three points off turnovers for the Ravens. So you're seeing turnovers and this offense really holding back this Bears defense. And I think that's where I want to take this next. There are I think there are three big things hurting Vic Fangio and his defense right now that's making them look and maybe play worse than they actually are. And the first one is turnovers. You can't keep giving the other team's offense a great position to score points. Again, not that it's an excuse for why the Bears allowed points. The defense, if they if you know if they had allowed all field goals on turnovers, that that would say a lot. But they have allowed three touchdowns off turnovers this year and what is it? One, two, three, four, five field goals as well. So there's always room for improvement there. And I'm not trying to say they're perfect or that, you know, because really zero points of turnovers would be ideal. And, you know, you saw against the Ravens after one of Mitchell Trubisky's fumbles or his fumble in that game, Adrian Amos got the pick six. That was zero points off of turnovers on that play. But still, the turnovers put this Bears defense in bad situations in weeks two, three, four, and even five. And largely, they've done a good job you know, in spite of that and on plays and drives that don't involve that. Similar vein, another thing really hurting this defense, particularly earlier in the season, is the just the overall ineffectiveness of the Bears offense, and in particular, the time of possession in games. You know, weeks one through four with Mike Glennon, the Bears could not sustain long drives, particularly in the first half. And, you know, sometimes into the third quarter. And what you saw was a Bears defense that gets gassed very easily. And that's when you start to see their level of play come down. You know, drives following a three and out don't go all that well for the Bears defense. They allow a lot of yards. Sometimes they stand tall in the red zone or in field goal range. But those are where you see this defense get into trouble. Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh... Well, uh... Honey? Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um... Well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh, they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, sunshine. (laughs) Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. With Mike Glennon under center... There were so many of those opportunities. You saw, like, week one against the Falcons. There were a lot of these long drives by Matt Ryan and company that finished with points, and the Bears just get tired. They get gassed, and by the fourth quarter, these guys are being run ragged, and they, they allow these teams to kind of come back into some games. You know, the Baltimore Ravens, not so much with the special teams plays, but even uh, against Minnesota, by the, by the time they got to the fourth quarter, Vikings started to drive back a little bit. Bears couldn't get the running game going in the offense, and they couldn't sustain long drives and that's not helping this defense again not these are not excuses for why the defense has played poorly but it just goes to show what maybe is going into 
some games where you, you, you have some criticism or some questions of, of why the defense might have played poorly. Turnovers and general offensive ineffectiveness has been a big influence on a lot of the struggles that this defense has had. And I think they would be a much better defense if you kept the same guys, put them in the same situations, but had a much better offense. And you started to see that a little bit last week, or actually I'll say a lot of bit last week against the Baltimore Ravens. That's what this defense can look like when they have an offense behind them controlling the clock and putting up some points on the board. I mean, you know, as much as that game went into overtime, the Bears defense allowed nine points in that game. The two special teams touchdowns allowed the Ravens to to score and cut back into the game. And the Bears' defense scored seven points of their own. And the the first interception set up a Bears touchdown. The defense was phenomenal against the Ravens. And that's what they can be when they have an offense that controls the clock and doesn't turn the ball over. And that's why I think this defense maybe got a little bit underrated through the first four games because they didn't have a quarterback that took care of the ball and they didn't have an offense that could sustain drives, remain effective, and, and build some time of possession to keep the defense from getting winded on the other side. The last big thing I think that's hurting this defense is purely the lack of depth in the front seven. I mean, we knew going into this season that the front seven was supposed to be the strength of the Bears' defense, and they were supposed to be the ones that make up for a, a, a secondary in turmoil, some new names, some young names, still trying to find an identity on the back end. In large part, I think that has still been the case, but what you see is a defense and a front seven that is very reliant on its starters. I mean, Akeem Hicks has been the lifeblood of this defense and really the front seven, and he makes a ton of great plays. Eddie Goldman in the middle doing a phenomenal job, and Mitch Unrein playing very well against the run. But you look at that defensive line. John Jenkins, the backup nose tackle, is inactive. I, I'm not uh, really sure why. And, and Jonathan Bullard he is playing terribly. He had a really bad game against the Ravens. Just looks really bad. And that's definitely a very real concern now in year two. Still not putting it together. And Roy Robertson-Harris with him not really doing much, especially in run defense in my opinion. Two guys, you know, they're only two active backup defensive linemen, really not offering you much. And I think Fangio isn't able to rely on them to take snaps away from, from Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks has played the fourth most snaps of anyone on this defense. He he would be better if you could give him a little bit more of a breather, not have to rely on him to make big plays every time, but they don't have the depth on the defensive line to do so. And you kind of see the same thing really at, at both linebacker positions. Not that you need Danny Trevathan to have a breast. He doesn't need breathers per se, but when you have Jarrell Freeman and Nick Kwiatkowski go down with injuries, your lack of depth becomes an issue at inside linebacker. You know, if, if, the, if both these linebackers were healthy, it's, it's, not, it's a non-issue. But because of the injuries, the lack of depth at inside linebacker, as much as the depth has played pretty well, you're seeing the, the level of play go down without your starters out there and again affecting the overall effectiveness of the Bears defense and, and finally outside linebacker I mean the real story there Leonard Floyd playing a lot of snaps he seems like a guy that would be better in maybe fewer specific you know opportunities but get him in on more passing situations give him a break on second and short third and short when you can get a bigger defensive or outside linebacker 
on the field, but he's having to play a ton of snaps. Pernell McPhee is having to play more snaps than maybe you'd like. He's still kind of banged up, not running as well. And, you know, it looks kind of like an old man out there, and you're only going to get so much from Pernell McPhee. And then with Willie Young injured, and, you know, Lamar Houston got injured before the season, he's gone. It's just Sam Acho. You're rolling with three outside linebackers right now because Isaiah Irving saw the field for one snap last week but isn't getting playing time just yet. I don't know if they don't feel comfortable with him or if he still needs more time to get ready. I'm not sure what it is, but you don't have your four-deep outside linebacker rotation. Five-deep last year before Lamar Houston got hurt. You're relying on three guys and primarily only two guys that can rush the passer effectively, and that's just not a recipe for sustainable defensive success. You're relying on Hicks, Goldman, Floyd, McPhee, Trevathan to make all of your plays because you don't right now have other guys that can step up and do so. Uh, you know, Mitch Unrein against the run sometimes. Christian Jones had that interception or a, or a near interception, got his hands on some balls, and John Timu's made some plays in the run, and now he's hurt a little bit too, but you're not getting playmaking from anyone but sort of your top guys. And to be a truly good defense, you need to be able to rotate your guys, get fresh bodies in that can come in and make occasional plays. You know, no one has four pro bowlers and two of them sitting on the bench. You know, that's not what that's not what we're asking for here. But we need, you know, you need to see Jonathan Bullard make more plays off the bench, Sam Acho make more plays off the bench, Isaiah Irving get involved, John, you know, maybe even Christian Jones make some more plays off the bench, get a Nick Kwiatkowski healthy, find some more depth on this team give these stars a little bit of a break so when they do get winded, you know, when the offense does have a three and out, you have more bodies that you can put on the field that can get the job done. And that's not that's not something Vic Fangio can really control right now. And I think expectations were higher for the Bullard, the Robertson-Harris. Sam Acho, maybe not, but you were expecting to have Willie Young. You were expecting to have more pass rushing depth, more of your inside linebackers. That hasn't been the case. And yet all of that, stacked up against this front seven, they've still done a pretty darn good job, like I just talked about with the points allowed, not allowing a lot of points in situations that weren't off of turnovers, and you take away the special teams and pick six touchdowns, this defense is largely doing a good job without offensive help, without depth in the front seven, and with new names, new faces moving around the secondary. To me, that is a credit to good coaching from defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. At the end of the day, the defensive coordinator, his job is to call plays and put his players in the best position to be successful. They're the ones that have to execute once he puts them in that position. Largely, this defense has been getting the job done, and and Fangio has been putting them in position to be successful. Same thing on the offensive side of the ball. Dowell Loggins' job, call plays that put players in the best position to be successful. He's not doing a very good job of that on the offensive side of the ball. We're seeing Fangio largely do a good job of that with the players that he has to work with, and that is credited to him. I really feel like this is sort of the truth about Vic Fangio. I think this is, you know, this makes him a good, above average defensive coordinator. I think that's where I'll put him. He's not truly great, but I would put him in the upper half of the league. And clearly, he is the best coordinator on this team. I think there's no doubting that. He has some talented coaching ability. He's getting the most out of guys and finding a way to piece everyone together to do a good job in spite of everything against him. 
Does that mean he's head coach material, that you replace John Fox with Vic Fangio as your head coach? I mean, it's hard to know. You, you kind of have to interview and talk to the person and know the man and their plan before you can determine whether or not he would be a good head coach. But given how sort of abrasive he can be with the media and he seems to be a guy that's maybe a little bit stubborn, maybe. I don't want to judge Vic Fangio too much based only on media interactions, but certainly he doesn't come off as the warmest, friendliest guy. And not that you have to be warm and friendly to be a head coach, but he seems like the kind of person that could rub you the wrong way. Not that he's going to rub everyone the wrong way or that that makes him unfit to be a head coach, but he doesn't necessarily fit the quote-unquote mold. You know, not that John Fox is the most smiley, happy guy, but he's at least friendly. Like, I've, I've personally talked to John Fox before at the Senior Bowl, just sort of, you know, not, not professionally, just like I asked him about his heart because he, he had that heart condition a couple years ago. He said it was something, you know, he was really nice about it. He's like, you know, thanks for asking about it. It's just something I was born with, and they, they fixed it, and I'm all good. No, no further concerns, but I appreciate you asking. Like, John Fox is actually a nice human being and genuinely seems like a good person, even though when he does go up to the podium and talk to the media, he's kind of, uh, well, you know, defense did this often. You know, he's not necessarily all that likable at times, and maybe that's because of the product on the field, but Vic Fangio isn't all that likable either, and he doesn't have, doesn't seem to have a lot of personality with the media, but that's his public face. The players respect him behind closed doors. They play hard for him. He does a good job as a defensive coordinator, so maybe he is cut out for head coaching material. I don't know Vic Fangio, uh, but you know you can only sort of see what we are able to see, and there's certainly some, not red flags, but you can see reasons why he might not be a good head coaching candidate, but that doesn't mean he isn't, and that doesn't mean he wouldn't necessarily be in the conversation if the Bears were to have an opening at the head coach position. But we will talk all about that if and when it happens. We'll go through everything here on Locked On Bears, as we do every day on the daily Chicago Bears podcast. I hope you are subscribed on your podcast listening service. I hope you follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1 and this podcast on Twitter at Locked On Bears. I hope you keep up with our daily shows. We try and bring you a little bit of different Bears analysis that you don't hear anywhere else. Hopefully you learn something about Vic Fangio, defensive football, blitzing, disguised coverage, coverage use. If anything went over your head or you're confused about it, feel free to tweet me at CoxSports1. I can try and maybe put it in different terms, but hopefully you were able to follow along. And again, maybe you learned something about Vic Fangio. That is the goal here on Lockdown Bears. And the only other goal we have is that every episode, there's just one thing that we hope you are able to do with every daily podcast. With Lockdown Bears, you gotta bear down.